0: It's good to connect with you once again. Uh, we're in a series, continuing in our series, this is a sixth message I believe in our series called Family Ties, where we're trying to anchor ourselves in discovery of what it means to be the family of God, especially when we feel we are physically distanced from one another. And through these different weeks, we've been covering a little bit of distance that the book of Ephesians has been showing to us about the church that existed in that place and in that time in the city of Ephesus. There were a lot of cultural differences. There were all kinds of different diversity issues that they were facing, trying to figure out who they were as a church family. And that serves as a great illustration for us in our time and trying to figure out how can we be the family of God when we have this giant disruption in our society. If you remember the first few weeks, we've talked more about the anchoring ourselves in the very gospel of Jesus Christ and how, you know, after Easter happens, there's so many implications for all of creation that there's this grand invitation that the Father God adopts us and we can enjoy that and and live in the freedom and security of that. And then in chapter three, it goes to more of a focus on Paul's calling and how we're all called to share that gospel. And if you remember at the beginning of chapter four, there's this great hinge that happens in the book of Ephesians and it starts to get practical for us. And and Pastor Steve last week, he, he really laid that out for us and how Paul illustrates this new life in Jesus Christ about how we should be putting away our old clothes and putting on new clothes, and that same idea of what this new life looks like, and, and how we're to live into this new life that Jesus offers us, and the implications uh, that it has for us. And, and specifically, it's going to be targeting the home. Now, that might be a, a welcome subject for you, depending on how your quarantine has been going. <laughs> uh, just the other day, I was driving, and I hit a detour. And while I was on the detour, it, I was reminded of this as an illustration for how life has been. You know, we were cruising down life just fine, in my opinion. And then we hit a giant construction site and gets in our way and we are forced to detour ourselves. And we've been on this detour now of what seems like for a long time. And we're kind of wondering, are we going to get back onto that road? Are we going to be, or is this the new route that we're going to be taken or something in between? What does that look like? And most of us have a lot of questions and very little answers. And for me, if you're like me, it seems as though all of the Struggles and difficulties are outside in the world around us. But you know what? I find that I'm feeling the pressures inside of the home and navigating all the different struggles that it is it's sheltering in place with my, with my particular family. But it's an important subject that we can't skirt around, especially because the way Paul lays it out in his letter to, uh, to the Ephesians. Our home and what happens in our home, what's revealed in our home matters greatly. I mean, there's a reason why we use the phrase hitting close to home. Whenever someone says something that has that personal ouch that really cuts deep with us, we say that it hits close to home because home is that space more than any other social space where we have our personal touch we can be free to take off our business clothes or, and, and put on what's comfortable. Or in this day and age, it's the place we can take our masks off. It's a place where we're comfortable. It's our little safe haven, our, our harbor. And how we design that and, and how we live in those spaces matters greatly and, and even has a great potential for showing and, and saying who we really are. Back in November, I was at a conference at a church in Indiana. And while I was at this conference, there were people that were serving for our mealtimes. And all of these people had these political buttons that they were wearing or or T-shirts that were promoting the same candidate. Now, I thought that was a little interesting because when it comes to church, and you know this very well, and especially as a pastor, you're getting into navigating some troubled waters and difficult waters when you're openly promoting a specific candidate. Now, this was not done by the pastor or the leadership, but these were the people that were serving. And so I asked them about that, and it just so happened that one of the members of that church was in fact running for the mayor of this city, And so I was paying close attention to see how the pastor of that church would navigate all of this. And of course, he was silent for most of the time. But when it came close to people casting their votes, this pastor did say something on Facebook about this person. He said, look, I'm not going to venture into the politics with you. And I'm certainly not going to openly endorse a candidate. But let me tell you, if you were wondering about this one candidate for mayor, I've been in his home I know what his life is like. I know how he treats his wife. I know how he fathers his children. And I can just tell you that he is who he says he is. Isn't that powerful? I mean, with all the different political statements that are out there, to see something revealed about how someone is in their home, it's incredibly personal and incredibly powerful. And that's exactly why Paul brings up the household in his letter to the Ephesians. Because look, just as Pastor Steve spoke last week, as much as Jesus wants to transform our lives, he also wants to transform our homes. It matters greatly as to how we live, even in those personal spaces. And so in that day, there were some hurdles to, to navigate for Paul when, when he was talking about this. And we see this in these particular letters. First, he addresses, he addresses something that was sort of a household code or a social order, a code called patria patestis, And what that literally means is power of the father. What you'll see is a list or an address to three different subordinate figures within the household. But then there are three figures of authority in the household. But the figure of authority in the household is all the same person. It's the patriarch. It's the man of the family. That's just how it was in that particular day. He was the husband. He was the father. He was the master in the households that had slaves in that time and in that space. And so how Paul navigates these social codes and these norms and and expectations matters a a great deal. And so he addresses them. And he starts first with the subordinate figures in the household. What we find are wives. He, He addresses them like this. Wives, be subject to your husbands. Then he moves on to children. Children, obey your parents. Slaves, slaves obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling. And to quote uh, Pastor Andy Stanley, these were all more of a duh reaction than a huh reaction. And I know it's hard for us to kind of fathom some of these different things in our own modern context, but for them, this was normal routine. This was life as usual. But then Paul begins to press on some of these norms and these expectations by addressing those that were in authority, by the patriarch, the the one who held all the power in this important family unit of the Roman household. He says, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And what I think is fundamental, masters, just as I'm instructing the slaves and the servants in your household, masters, you do the same to them. This was a not so subtle and difficult push that Paul is making for the Roman citizens, the the people that were encultured by this code of patria potestas, and he's all driving to a very key point and something that is important for us as we even look at our own households. And it's the instruction of be subject to one another. Be subject to one another. This is, you can consider this the subject line of Paul's email. This really captures it all. Be subject to one another. But it's more than just a self self help uh, tactic or, or example. I, I I run into this and it's a principle that I teach to uh, couples that are preparing for their marriage. Be subject to one another, serve one another, put the other one above your own. These are really practical things for marriage. But there were so many barriers and so many expectations to cross over in that particular time and place. They needed a deeper reason. They needed a a, a bigger ethic to draw them into something. If they were really going to practice this specific, be subject to one another. And it's at the very end of this same scripture in 521. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. As you have been transformed by God in Jesus Christ, as God has adopted you with his love and you can rest secure in that, be subject to one another out of that reverence back in response to Jesus Christ. Jesus laid the foundation work for all of this. When he ministered to his disciples and to others, he got into a conversation with Peter one time, one of his trusted disciples, and he, he asked him three times the same question Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter responded back, What are you talking about? Of course I love you. And each time in response, Jesus says, Then go and feed my sheep. Jesus offers an instruction and a commandment that we consider the greatest commandment today as we read our Bibles. And it was to love God, but then out of that and in the same accord, we are to love our neighbor or to love one another. It's as if Jesus is saying that if we're going to love God, we need to also reflect that love, not just towards, back towards God in worship and reverence and praise, but to others as well to the people that we claim to love in our homes or people that we live in same neighborhoods or people that are out in the world. We need to reflect that same love to other people. Be subject to one another out of a reverence for Christ. Now to illustrate that the Roman household is just different from the social codes and norms that, that, that we have today, we have this example of, of slavery. And to me, one of the most powerful examples of, of, of Paul's message in this is, is that situation, the relationship between a master and his slave. And, and what he says to masters at the end of this very section to me is very telling. And it's a strong statement about who God is. It says, and masters do the same to them Stop threatening them, for you know that both of you have both of you have the same master in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. And so out of reference for Jesus, and in response to all the things that that God has done for us, Paul offers this expression of love. And a way to go about being God's people, Eve, especially when it counts, when we're in our most comfortable place, our home. And that is the ethic of mutual submission. Mutual submission. Now, if you're like me, the word submission doesn't exactly give you the warm fuzzies. It's not really a word. Now, that's probably because I have a strong sense of will and have a difficult time with that sometimes. But you know, it's not this word submission that I have the most trouble with. It's the word mutual. I get into arguments, I admit, I get into arguments at times with my wife and on more than one occasion, we've had this situation where we know at the end of an argument, we both need to come to a place where we should apologize to one another. And there's probably a little bit of this game, I wonder who's going to apologize first. And asking for forgiveness or or saying you're sorry to me is is one of those being subject to one another because it feels like you're submitting yourself, you're you're making yourself vulnerable to the other person. (laughs) And so whether it was my wife towards me or me towards her, on more than one occasion, If one of us came to the place where we could ask for forgiveness, we would often pause and wait for the other person to return the apology. And if that return apology never comes, oh, that can feel like such a violation. That's the challenge and the risk that we take when it comes to mutual submission. Because if we have the courage out of reverence for Christ to submit to someone else and they're not playing the same ball game and they're not willing to be mutual, it puts us in a very vulnerable place. And it can get really difficult to live out this this ethic that that Jesus is, is giving us. And so through all of those barriers, as we think about our own willpower and, and how even it's, it's a great idea and, and even a, a good self-help tactic to, to practice mutual submission when it comes down to it, the call that God gives us comes from a completely different place. That out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands because that illustrates how the church is subject to Christ. Children, children, Obey your parents because in that you illustrate what it means to be a child of God and call God Abba Father. Slaves, respect your masters because in that you're setting an example for what it means to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Masters, fathers, husbands, husbands, and you are all in the same boat. (laughs) Submit yourselves, why? Because ultimately, you're not the prime authority. It's Jesus. And your ability to practice mutual submission elevates and reveals who Jesus is. And so out of this part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, there's, there's a couple questions I think that it emerge. And specifically from these two people groups, those that stand in authority in relationships and those that are in a submissive position in their relationships. And those two questions are this. Can you submit to someone else even when you don't have to? Even when you don't want to? These are questions that continue to bug and to bother me. As I live out my life, and especially as I live in a quarantine house with my family, there's a lot of times I don't want to, and there's a lot of times I feel like I don't have to. But when I come under the Lordship of Jesus, and I say to myself that I'm gonna live the way of Jesus, it causes me to think differently. About it. You see, the only person, the only one that stands outside of this ethic is God Himself. The the only one that doesn't need to do anything for us, doesn't have to do anything for us, doesn't owe us anything the one true God, Jesus Christ, his son. He doesn't have to be subject to us. And yet, at the same time, he models this for us. You might remember in our last series, we covered the book of John. And in John chapter 13, there's this amazing story. Jesus is nearing the end of his life and he begins to um, have a final supper, a Passover meal with his friends, his, his disciples. And through the bread and the wine and the sharing of the cup, he illustrates the sacrifice that he is about to make for them. But he also does something else. He, he takes off his outer robes and, and presents himself like a slave in the household. And he begins to wash the disciples' feet. And you can get a sense that Jesus is violating a social household code in this moment because Peter, his disciple, is offended. After all that time of going on, Jesus is their leader, Jesus is their teacher. There's no way that Jesus, the leader and teacher who has an elevated position, should ever be washing the feet of his disciples. And Peter says, no way am I going to let you do this But Jesus rebukes him and he says, if you don't let me do this, you don't have a part with me. So of course, Peter in his fun loving way, he said, no, well, you know, just cover my whole body then if that's the case. And after Jesus washes their feet, he gives them a little tutorial. It gives them a little reason as to why he's doing. Here's what it says in John chapter 13, verses 12 to 15. Do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And here's where he says, For I have set an example that you also should do as I have done for you. Our call to live the way of Jesus, to be children of God, following the way of our master, is to submit mutually to one another. Even when we don't want to, even when we feel like we don't have to, Jesus is calling us to submit to one another we live in a world that is full of hierarchy, position, status. Greatness and authority and privilege is on the topic of conversation for many people. In the church, in this time, in this moment, the family of God has a tremendous opportunity to witness to the world what it looks like to be selfless in our love and in our love for one another and in our self-giving love for our families and for those that live in our home. We have an opportunity when the world takes notice to point the way to the Father and to say, this is the way of Jesus. And so my invitation to you is to consider how you can, out of reverence for Christ, not because it's just a good idea or a good principle for marriage or fatherhood or parenthood or whatever, but out of reverence for Jesus, could you be subjects, could you submit yourselves to each other even when you don't want to, even when you don't have to? Let's pray together. So holy God, Abba Father, teach us, continue to teach us what it means to be the household of faith, the family of God. No matter our status, no matter our position, no matter our cultural codes and expectations. We hear loud and clear in this moment the ethic in the way of Jesus. To be subject to one another, to submit ourselves to one another. And God, I know that I struggle in living that out fully. Lord, I confess to you when I've made those mistakes, even made those mistakes recently as I try to navigate life in quarantine. But I pray, God, that through your grace and your forgiveness, you continue to teach me, continue to teach all of us what it means to to be the family of God, to live the way of Jesus and to show the way to you. Lord, above every voice, above every voice that tries to teach us and tell us what it looks like to live, help us to hear from you. You are our Abba Father. You are our master. And we give our hearts to you now and our lives to you now and our homes to you now. Lead us down your pathway. We pray in the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So in just a couple seconds, there's gonna be a series of questions that pop up on your screen. And I just invite you to take some time wherever you're at. And if you're by yourself, take some time to reflect on the questions. Or if you have those around us, around you, go ahead and discuss some of these things with those around you. And these are just ways for you to kind of flesh out a little bit. What does the, all of this mean for you and in, especially in your home and in your household? My prayer is that God continues to bless you with an abundance of hope. And I know that you're struggling. My prayer is that God would bless you with an abundance of hope as together as the family of God, we seek to live out the way of Jesus and show the world who he is. Go with God. Bless you guys. We'll see you again next week.